Hey guys, it's Matthew. We got Nate Claiborne coming up in just a second. We're going to be talking about, oh boy, uh, we're going to talk about nipples, uh, Nazis, wolves, snakes, football, and uh, Wes Anderson directing an episode of Game of Thrones, but not necessarily in that order. Just want to make a few announcements. If you missed this week's blog post, you can find it at MatthewEPierce.com. I published a comprehensive ranking of Adam and Eve pictures. Uh, I ranked them according to hotness, and if you think it sounds juvenile, I assure you it was even more juvenile than it sounds. Also, I wanted to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. Thank you, Ellison. Thank you for signing up at Patreon.com slash Matthew E. Pierce and bringing the people this content. Thank you, Ellison. You are awesome. We appreciate you. Hey, let's get on to the episode. You know, I mean, and listen, not more than 30% of this episode is going to be me defending the Nazis, but... It's a good ratio. (laughs) If people are already dead, are you opposed to using limbs as weapons? Yeah, I've got some moral safeguards against that. Okay. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for being back on the show on Sexy Bible Time. I'm Matthew from the backwoods of Alabama. My partner today, broadcasting from... Florida, where it seems like all the uh, Fun Sexy Bible Time co-hosts reside. Nate Cloverborn, what's going on? Oh, you know, it's just a cloudy Monday. It's a cloudy Monday. Uh, you can find Nate at Christ and Pop Culture on his own blog, or his own, sorry, his own website, NathanielClaiborne.com. You can find him on Twitter at Nate Claiborne. He's a busy man. He has, he has uh, hands in a lot of different currents of theology. And we were just talking about Adam and Eve pictures. Nate, mm-hmm. what was your what was your takeaway from the Adam and Eve post? I, I just feel like a lot of things would be solved if we had a more authentic picture. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the one where the, there's no nipples, but there are belly buttons, and I just thought that's a that's a bold move. That was so confusing. Like, are they are they making a theological claim that Adam and Eve did not have nipples before the fall of man? Yeah, may I mean maybe, but the the weirder thing to that was one, it's the most unflattering perspective you could pick for yeah. a naked person. You know, kind of at the ground, looking up at an angle. But then also, Eve definitely had breasts exposed, but just with no nipples. Yeah, if you're taking the theological route that there were no nipples because there was no need for nipples like then like wouldn't there be no boobs in the garden of eden either yeah i mean that would it's just tough i mean if you if you got boobs you gotta have belly button and vice versa because but then at the same time there was no umbilical cord or was there (laughs) and in that picture there was definitely belly buttons Mm-hmm. Which is so, I mean, it was like, guys, it's like you're trying to straddle the fence here. It's like you got to go either no nipples, no belly button, or everything. It's like they just couldn't make up their mind. Yeah. I mean, there's there's other, there's ways around it they really haven't really explored. I mean, if you dig into some of the theological background, some of the cultural background, 
there's some traditions that suggest Adam and Eve would have kind of glowed and so not actually been aware of their own nakedness until they fell and lost the glow. So I don't know why no one just goes for that. Like, you don't need need bushes, you don't need trees, you can just, like, have them all sort of perfect and glowy, but you can't really make out anything below the clavicle area. And you got this from reading Trevin Wax's fan fiction? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I can't actually remember my source, (laughs) but it could have been. (laughs) Who's to say, really? Who's to say? Snakes, Nate Claiborne. Snakes going wild in Alabama. What, what's going on with this, my friend? I well, I don't know about you, but the way it kind of works here is, one, we're in a drought for like, I don't know, three, four months. Apparently, the snakes in our neck of the woods like the dry weather. And so when it starts raining again, which it mercifully did a couple, couple weeks ago, now we're back to good old Florida swamp fest, you know thousand percent humidity thunderstorm every day anyways right after that happened i popped out our back porch and lo and behold there was a little black racer just right there i should have followed my first instinct and just stomped on its head um (laughs) i was barefoot so it was going to be risky i probably would have gotten bit but then it would have just been all the more biblical oh yes it would have it would have struck your heel it would have so i just you know I didn't really have time that day to deal with a hospital visit, but uh, I scared it. But then it realized it couldn't. We have a screened in back porch and it got through the screen to get on the back porch, but could not get back out. Uh-huh. So I've never it's kind of comical seeing a snake kind of crazily go up and down the screen trying to find a way out and not getting one and then just kind of <laughs> coiling up in the corner and striking at me. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I've, I hear all kinds of things in Alabama that, you know, the snakes are out because it's been too wet. I hear that the snakes are out because it's been too dry. Um, I, I don't know, but they're just ev- everywhere this year. Um, we have woods back behind our house. And, you know, I, I had that one a couple of weeks ago that was like trying to get in our front door and uh, had to fight that one off with a shovel. Mm. And uh, I, I use wasp spray on my end. <laughs> well, there's like a uh, there's like an anecdotal remedy of like you throw mothballs around your house and it supposedly keeps them away. But I've never seen any scientific evidence that that actually helps. Oh, yeah. but that's like an Alabama thing. So, oh, you get, get you some mothballs, keep the snakes away. And then my neighbor sounds like, sounds like voodoo. <laughs> and then my neighbor most of her dogs inside for the night this is at one day last week but left like a skeleton crew to guard the yard mm. and i guess a uh, a snake thought that the coast was clear and that was gonna attack the house or whatnot and one of the dogs that was left outside got a hold of it and uh prevailed in a lengthy battle through the night and uh brought <laughs> Brought the dead snake up to the house as a gift for my neighbor. Oh, good for him. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know I'm familiar with the school of thought that everything has its place and we shouldn't kill anything for sport, but you got to admit, a dog killing a snake to protect its owner, that's freaking cool. That is exactly what God had in mind when he told us to have dominion. (laughs) And I I don't enjoy killing things. Like, I I don't hunt, you know, I'm not... I don't like to kill for sport, but we have very clearly 
we have very clear rules of engagement with the snakes of, you know, you stay in the woods. I'm not going to come in the woods looking for you. That's your territory. Mm -hmm. But you come and attack my house. I mean, I'm going to be there with a shovel to protect my family. That's just sort of how it works. I mean, if Adam had been driving the snake out of the garden instead of posing for all these pictures, just think where we'd be. (laughs) There's a complimentarian argument there that uh, Adam did not protect his wife from the snake. I was, yeah, that, I, <clears throat> I've read that. I would I would take it a step further. Adam did not protect his wife by chopping down the one tree that had forbidden fruit. Yeah, there, there was a lot of protective measures Adam could have taken. Maybe he was distracted by gazing at his own belly button. I mean, <laughs> I would chop down the tree, man. Like, what do you? <laughs> why are you letting that tree there? Just chop the tree down. Chop the tree yeah. down. Temptation over. Hang out in another part of the garden. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it was a great place. Like you didn't have to hang out by that one tree. Maybe don't let your wife talk to a snake. And then there's a, uh, then there's a liberal interpretation that if Adam had refused to eat the apple after Eve had, what happens then? Like, are we all like, is it just like a race of men that are gay at that point? Like I, I have no idea. No, I actually have theories on this. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to put myself inside Adam's, Psyche, which is difficult because he's a Middle Eastern man of unknown origin from well, we won't we won't say how many years ago because I don't want to make Ken Ham mad at me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but just trying to think, like, what makes sense? And so Adam can remember being alone, and then he fell asleep one day, and then lo and behold, there was a naked woman. Uh-huh. And so, from Adam's point of view, I. I you know, does he trust God that if Eve eats from the fruit that she's actually going to die? And then he's like, I don't want to do any of that alone business anymore. So he just eats it, too. And he's like, let's just see what happens. Or she eats the fruit and nothing happens. So he's like, oh, I guess it's no big deal. Mm. Like, I'm trying to, the theory is kind of like, is it solidarity with Eve or is he just is it like a lapse of judgment? Mm. You could skew very romantic that you could say he would have rather died with Eve than live on alone. But, you know, that's it's maybe stretching it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, these are things we're going to have to ask him, you know, yeah. day one, New Jerusalem. Adam, what were you thinking, man? Like, what, what, what were you doing? Do you think they'll be with like Adam and all these Bible characters, do you think they'll, it'll be like a giant TGC conference, all of heaven where oh, they're gosh. just doing seminar after seminar answering questions? Oh no. Oh please. No, because there's going to be some dumb questions. Right. I mean, it's, we got eternity to weed out the dumb ones, but yeah, well if there, if there is a conference, like I'm not going to be there because I'm an introvert. I'm just going to bide my time and then go up to all these guys individually and ask them. Because yeah. If I made it all the way through this life and into heaven, like I'm, I'm done with the group situations. Like, mm-hmm. just kind of opt on that. Yeah, like there's no reason that I have to be in large groups of people from from eternity on. Right. Well, you can get you can just get the audio later off the new World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it'll have another name. I don't know. Like New Heavens, New Earth, New World Wide Web. Like. internet or something (laughs) I mean obviously we have to ask too were Noah's sons allowed to bang on the ark Mm. 
That I mean, let's see. They're on there for a full year. I've got and, I've got arguments and counter arguments. So what do you think? I let's see. Okay, here, I'll, I'll I'll go first. I'll let you ponder as I okay. as I rant. Okay, so they're they're torn between two things. You know, Noah has three sons. They bring their wives on the ark. Not a lot to do. If you're shoveling poop, I have heard interpretations that God caused all the animals on the ark to fall asleep for the entire trip. Whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, there's not a lot to do on the ark. So Mm -hmm. you're bored. Your wife is right there. You know, you're probably going to want to start the repopulation process because you know that no one else survived. But you also don't know how long you're going to be on the ark. So do you really want to do childbirth on the ark? So you're pulled in two directions here. Right. I guess that we'd have to like do some research into ancient childbirth practices. And it's even more difficult because we're talking about like pre-flood childbirth practices, which we don't really have a lot of access to. Because I, I guess I'm just thinking like, is there a huge difference between doing childbirth on a giant floating barge versus in a tent in the desert? Mm. You know? Like you, it's not like you don't have access to water in either. You actually have more access to water, I guess, if we're in a flood situation. Yeah. But yeah, like what else are they going to do besides keeping the animals fed and or poop free? Or like, I don't know. I mean, how many, how many games of Scrabble can they play before they're like, well, I guess we need to go repopulate? Because, I mean, their cell phone batteries are pretty much dead after like that first couple of days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, I mean, you probably you hit refresh too many times in the first like couple hours, and it just kills the battery. And yeah. then, and who, then are they, who, who are they tweeting to? Everybody else is dead. Yeah. How are they going to be outraged? Like, who? <laughs> well, I mean, much like yourself, I personally keep myself in a state of perpetual outrage, just so nothing surprises me. I can always be. I can always be ready for the next outrage, but I don't know about them. Yeah, maybe they were they were a little more, a little more chill back then. I, I don't know, but I mean, I mean, we are talking about someone who, as soon as the boat landed, immediately planted a vineyard and started the winemaking process. Like he, things, he didn't mess around. And then things got really weird. Yeah, yeah. That that begins the. If you thought Adam and Eve and all that was weird, the post flood up to like. But really, the rest of Genesis. Like, we're talking about some weird characters. Yeah, there's some freaky stuff going down. I'm speaking of freaky stuff going down, man. What are the Dolphins doing in their offseason as a fellow Dolphins fan? What's going on? Uh, they're trying to figure out if they can go for third or fourth place in the AFC East. They're not sure yet what they're oh. shooting. Heck yes. Uh, as a fellow SEC football connoisseur, are you, are you sufficiently outraged for the beginning of the year? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I remember I haven't paid too much attention. I feel like balls are just going to do their, their normal mediocre thing. Um, <laughs> and then we've, we've actually reached peak mediocrity because we had a columnist in Knoxville um, writing about how we shouldn't have to play Alabama every year because it's too hard. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, that's what it's come to now. <laughs> Don't want to play the hard teams anymore. How how far away is Butch Jones from being on the hot seat? Because he's got really good recruiting, but it just always feels like things are very close to going off the uh, off the rails. 
Yeah, he's he's like one. It, I think he's he's won one more game each year than the previous. Mm-hmm. So I think if he if he levels off where he's at now for like two more years, I don't think they'll go for that. I have a I have a theory. I have a sports theory. It, it, I think it transcends most sports, but I, I feel like over the course of time, the DNA of a team's coach soaks into the team, and the team starts to sort of take on the characteristics of their coach. Mm. As an Alabama football fan, that you know you can kind of see that that a lot of our players are anal retentive jerks. <laughs> Just kind of yeah, it's weird how that works out. Uh, Tennessee, like, I don't know, like, Butch Jones is not bleeding stable DNA into that, into that football team. No, I mean, it's, it, it, there is that element, but then you look at, like, who his predecessors were, and you're like, well, I guess we're going in the right direction. <laughs> like, we had Lane Kiffin and Derek Dooley. Oh, Derek Dooley. Hey, I appreciated his Rommel his Rommel example so much. He took a lot of flack for that, but that was a, as a homeschooler, that was a quality reference to drop a, a, a German world war two general that most people have no idea who he is, which uh, yeah, at the same time, it's like that kind of typifies his coaching style. Probably <laughs> he's just on some other wavelength. That... He really is. <laughs> he had a little bit of like eccentric homeschool father in him. I can see that, which I mean, that is Knoxville. That's like the dark side of Knoxville. No one knows about. They just know about like Lady Vols basketball and mediocre football. Um, also, we build nuclear bombs, but um, that's in Oak Ridge, I guess. Because <laughs> he the the pants he wore. That's definitely something a like the bright orange pants. That's definitely oh, something gosh. a homeschool father would would strut into church on Sunday morning wearing. Uh, and unironically, that's unironically. The key. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I mean, transitioning seamlessly from Derek Dooley as a homeschool father. I've been reading some of your stuff on Chris Nolan because, you know what, screw Brett McCracken. I think you're the preeminent Chris Nolan scholar. Oh, wow. On uh, the, In the Christian blogosphere. That's right. I said it. I'm dragging Brett McCracken, somebody I've never met. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and change my Twitter bio. <laughs> just, just name it, claim it. <laughs> Yes, Lord. So now, now you're getting into Benny Hinn. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle for me. Do we want to go Benny Hinn first or Chris Nolan first? I mean, how's the spirit leading? I guess that's the question. Oh, the spirit, Nate Claiborne, is leading me to ask for donations. Wow. He would do that. The spirit's really greedy. Benny Hinn. Fun story. Um my wife's parents know his eye doctor. <laughs> um, and some people don't really get the significance of that, but it's just kind of like, guy, guy builds his ministry on healing people, but has to get prescription lenses on. That the- is not true, Nate. That is not true. That is a lie. I inject money directly into my corneas, and I am healed. I feel like, is this like some kind of like necromancy? It's not necromancy because he's not dead yet. <laughs> like you're literally channeling his, his life force into your voice and your thoughts. <laughs> is that safe? Um, 
Benny Hinn. You know, I think we talked about this like in a previous podcast, but it's, it's kind of sad because a lot of like Benny Hinn, he was so poor when he started out doing this. Like, it's just hard for me to imagine that this was some kind of long con that he planned on becoming this. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have to believe that in the beginning he was doing this for the right reasons and and the fame just sort of overwhelmed him. Yeah, it's very it's, it, it's very we- interesting slash weird. I mean, you, you wonder. I've tried to be a little more. Um, what's what's the word? Charitable, I guess, to to people we would maybe as more conservative Christians classify as false teachers, of of maybe thinking through like how many of them actually like would say they know the truth, but they're intentionally perpetuating a lie versus. They very honestly believe like what the thing that they're teaching is true. Mm-hmm. So there's like a level of sincerity there, even if it's like wacky sincerity. It's still, I legitimately feel like this is true, and you need to support my ministry, and God will bless you if you bless me. And so they legitimately want to see people be blessed, but they also want to make money in the process. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's people that are like genuinely like personality disorder kind of guys, um, like people who just are just not okay. Um, but then, uh, you know, I, I just I, I just feel like maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like most of the guys and, and, and women that we joke about started out more or less okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just hard to say. I mean, so like one... As maybe an ex- I don't know if this is an example, but I, I'd mentioned this story. So Benny Hinn was at a church here in Orlando until I don't know the I don't know the backstory of it. But um, when my wife and I were dating, may have just gotten married. Uh, no, I think we were we were engaged at this point because I was still living in Texas and she was living here. And one of the times I came to visit, we went to Benny Hinn's church because her assistant at work went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was very, like, everyone was, like, super smiley, super sincere, very, like, very, you could tell, like, loved Jesus in, like, a sincere, enthusiastic kind of sense. Like, I don't think anyone was, like, faking being excited about it being church. Mm-hmm. But then the service just kind of, after a while, you know, it just kind of spiraled, I guess, but maybe it wasn't a weird thing. It, it, it wasn't, it, it was weird based on our tradition, but it wasn't like crazy weird. So one of the, the way it ended, if I can just skip to that part, we left when everyone was jumping up and down on their chairs, screaming, give me my mountain. We just kind of used that as a, an easy way to get through the aisles because most people weren't, like, seated or standing. You know what I mean? I mean, Nick, uh, that was the best part. Like, you, you know, you weren't even to the part where people are running up and down the aisles. Yeah, it was, like, right before running up and down the aisles. But it was just one of those – it was also, like, an hour and a half, 45 minutes into the service at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was very much a they, – they'd read this text in Joshua that was – after the promised land had been divided up and Caleb was saying, I've been faithful since, you know, remember way back when in numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, now give me my inheritance. And he says, give me my mountain. And they had jumped from that to 
that's like a promise we can name and claim for us today. And we just need to tell God to give us our mountain. And then it was like this kind of fill in the blank of like whatever the mountain was for you. You just demand that God give it to you if you've been faithful and he'll reward you. And it's like, okay, you can kind of see the logic to that. Like if you take everything in the Old Testament as something that can just be principalized and applied to the New Testament, then that kind of works, but then you have to temper it with some of the stuff that Paul and Jesus say about we live in a fallen world and you should expect suffering because this world is not your home. Well, they don't say it that way. But uh, okay. You have to blend the together. You know? Just raining everybody's parade. Well, they shouldn't even be having parades. <laughs> John MacArthur, I find no biblical evidence for parades. Oh yeah, no. Johnny Mac. Do we already talk about his uh, engaging the culture tape series? Oh gosh, does he even know there is a culture to be engaged? No, it, well, it's a. It was a Babylon B <laughs> joke article. It was. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I just completely releases, stepped on it. Yeah, releases new engaging the culture tape series, and you're like, oh. I, I didn't. I did not see that one. It's. It was one of those like just kind of slipped in there. Yeah, he, uh, he he's the gift that keeps on giving. John MacArthur. Yeah, from all sides. I, I haven't really been paying attention to him recently. I guess I'd be <laughs> focus back in. I used to want to go to his school when I was an undergrad because they had a baseball team. Uh-huh. One of the few Christian colleges with a baseball team, but it was also a private school in California. Uh-huh. It's extremely cost prohibitive. Yeah, I, I was having a, a conversation with somebody. <sighs> This is going to be pretty mean. I'll probably just edit this out of the podcast. But honestly, when do you think is the last time that John MacArthur interacted with a sinner? Ooh. Like, uh, I mean, in a, in a meaningful way, not like some like a, a cashier is, is checking out his order at the grocery store, but in a meaningful yeah. way, interacted with somebody who is not a Christian. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a good question because I, I know – his church is in it's outside LA but it's on like east side outside of LA area if I remember right and basically that whole like central California I-5 corridor is like a bible belt but in California like everyone's super conservative if you go to Starbucks it's not really weird to see people doing bible studies mm-hmm. so it ends up being very and there's some like I think resentment kind of like what you get in upstate New York. People in upstate New York don't like, they're, they're very, usually very staunchly Republican and they don't like the fact that New York City kind of determines the whole state's vote mm-hmm. on things. Yeah. But you kind of have that in California too with the coast determines everything, but the people inland are kind of Benedict optioning things. <laughs> maybe, maybe they need to change it. Maybe it's not the Benedict option. Maybe it's the... No, I think that works. MacArthur option? That sounds more enticing, honestly. (laughs) I think the MacArthur option is you just sort of... I don't know. Like, you just condemn everyone that doesn't believe the way you do. Actually, he's... I'll say I'm I'm not a fan of him, but it's not him so much as a problem, but his, his acolytes are just horrifying. Uh, yeah, I would agree because I mean I'm, we're saying all this, and I'm someone who 
my first study Bible was a MacArthur study Bible. And it's part of the reason I think a lot of the ways that I do about theology, mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be a stretch to say I would call myself a Calvinist because of John MacArthur. Um, but I've never read any of his books. I've just read his study Bible. Yeah, it, it, I'm not a fan of his. I mean, I think he's, frankly, just sort of way, way too crabby about things. But it's um, most of the nasty, nasty stuff comes from the people who who follow him. Like his his tree of theology has got some really bad branches on it. Do we know if he he doesn't have any material connection to pulpit and pen? Does he? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think that's mostly a one-sided relationship there. I think they just model themselves after him. I don't think he okay. interacts I with I, them. I didn't think he did, but they just kind of strike me as like he, they would look at him as like their pope. And yeah, he they, would say, they absolutely do. Satanic. <laughs> All right, so I've been, I knew that we were going to do a podcast yeah, I knew as the preeminent Chris Nolan scholar of the Christian blogosphere that that would probably come up. So I went back and I've been looking at some of your old posts about Chris Nolan. Talk to me about Dunkirk. Are you excited? I, I am. And it's it, it's actually hitting that sweet spot for my wife and I because she... She sat through Inception in the theater, and she sat through Interstellar, maybe in the theater, and hated both of them. Oh, no. Because they, they both gave her a headache, um, and so has refused to rewatch them, whereas I think I've rewatched both of them like seven or eight times since then, partially because I end up showing them in school. And so I like at the end of the school year this year, I used Interstellar as a engaging the culture opportunity. And so I ended up watching it like six times in a week and a half. Oh, gosh. But it, it ends up being very interesting when you watch a movie like that in 45-second stretches back to back to back. Because that's what it was. Like forty-five minute, first 45 minutes, six times in a row. Second 45 minutes, six times in a row. Um, but you just keep noticing things. So that, anyways, all that to say, um, his films don't get old. And he hasn't made a movie yet that I don't like. So I just would assume... I'll like Dunkirk, even though typically I don't enjoy or go out of my way to watch war movies. You could not be more wrong, Nate Claiborne. About the war movies or about <laughs> that the movie's going to be good? Okay, see, I, I, I'm not excited about Dunkirk. We're going to have okay. a, we, we got we to first take this out and just hot take each other to death over this. Okay. I'm not excited about Dunkirk. I, I, I mean, I get why he would. I think Dunkirk occupies a place in the British consciousness that is very sacred um, in a way that maybe Americans don't fully grasp. But when I saw the trailer, it was like, yeah, I just, you know, it just sort of feels like, like, like a lot of directors could have done this movie. Like maybe this is just like, I don't want to say it's a waste of Chris Nolan, but yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, it's just, it's not his, it's not his genre. So is he doing it because he's trying to branch out his, his catalog? Is it? I don't know if he's cleansing the palace. Yeah. Is it supposed to somehow be a prequel to Interstellar? (laughs) It's going to be like a twisted end. 
I, it was sort of when I saw the trailer, it was like, oh, okay, this looks fine, but it, it was like finding out like, like if Wes Anderson was going to direct an episode of Game of Thrones. You know, oh, okay. And actually, I, I, I take that back. That would be incredible if Wes Anderson. That's a bad example because Wes Anderson directing Game of Thrones, he'd put all of his people in there, and that would be incredible to see Owen Wilson interact. You know, ah, you know, White Walkers. Wow. Yeah, he'd, he'd, there'd have to be a wow. He would be a Targaryen somehow. Like he'd be like a long lost Targaryen cousin. <laughs> And the White Walkers would all like be wearing plaid and derby hats and having canes. Yeah, all the shots, all the shots are going to be centered really, really well. Where you can like draw a line down the middle, and there's like perfect <laughs> symmetry, and like there's a, a new color scheme instead of like big yellow title cards announcing everything that's about to happen. Yeah. Wow, you guys are like frozen. Wow. That's it. You've got a good Owen Wilson and a good Benny Hinn. You should you should make a podcast sometime that is Owen Wilson interviewing Benny Hinn. <laughs> wow! So you're saying I could just have the, all these blessings? Anything I want? Wow! That is right, my son. All you have to do is unlock your glory realm by investing in faith. Yep. See, perfect. You just need like 45 minutes of that. Claim your mountain, Owen. Claim your mountain, my son. I, for one, am inspired. So, yeah, it was sort of like finding out that Chris Nolan was going to direct like a uh, like a CSI episode or something. Like, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, he'd do a great job. But, I mean. I think, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from. I think part of it, too, is, and this is why I usually askew watching war movies, is in most circumstances, you already know how the movie's going to end. Yes, thank you. And so it's hard to really develop a, a true sense of suspense. And I mean, there's there's suspense in like how is this going to resolve, but you already know the resolution. Whereas you're watching a movie like Inception or Interstellar or The Prestige or any of the the Dark Knight trilogy, you really don't know like the way it's supposed to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, hey, here's another hot take for you. How about Nazi fatigue? Oh yeah. Can we get a different villain, or do we just have to keep using Nazis, you know, over and over again for the rest of eternity? Yeah, we made like a Genghis Khan movie yet. I mean, that's some unmined territory. I, you know, I mean, and listen, not more than thirty percent of this episode is going to be me defending the Nazis, but I, it's a good ratio. Can, can we can we get somebody else? Like, it, it it's it, it's almost like lazy at this point. And I know it's a historical film. That's that's who the villains were, but. Right, you know, it just feels like every single time that you need just like an instant movie villain, it's Nazis, and it's like you know, I mean, you know, what about you know, what about Paul Pot? And was it Cambodia or Laos? Uh, you got me on that. Something. I mean, what Laos is the city? I think it was Cambodia. Um, the- fields in Cambodia. You know, what about the friggin' Great Purges with Stalin? You know, I mean, we, we have, you know, I mean, what about, what about Big Ten football? Oh, yeah. But no, we just have to <laughs> keep coming back to the Nazis every single time. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's probably the same thing with like when you're trying to argue about ethics and then someone makes a Nazi comparison, you're just like, well, we 
this conversation's over now because you just went there. And... Yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing about 2017 is everything is compared to Hitler. Yeah. And you got to think like Stalin, who killed way more people than Hitler. You got to feel like maybe he's like a little disappointed. Like, you know, what do I have to do to get in this conversation as the worst person ever? Yeah, he's trying to trying to figure out how to get reincarnated so that he can join ISIS or something yeah. and then cement his legacy as the worst ever. I mean, like the uh, the stats are there for Stalin. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, he his, just, he wasn't flashy about it. I think that was the problem. Yeah, his mistake was the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Like, you, you can't be doing that stuff behind closed doors. You got to be just parading it about. Yeah. See, got back to parades. That's why you can't have parades. Yeah. Yeah. My friends, I see no biblical justification. For outdoor gatherings, oh, that was that was a uh, that was the beginning of my MacArthur impersonation. I got to work on it. Okay, yeah, I mean, I could I could sense it. I, I feel like everything is preceded by like my friends, my brothers, like where he's like trying to sound chummy, but like doesn't know how, and then it just descends into fire and brimstone. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm trying to. I I, I remember hearing a lot of his sermons growing up, but it, they they kind of are just sort of like background noise, they, and they blend together with James Dobson's. <laughs> Dobson is like a, uh, I don't know. How would you do a Dobson voice? It's like a, yeah, it's just like a sound. It's like very nasal. Nah. It's like a high nasally version of the adults in Charlie Brown. <laughs> Like a John Piper impersonation would be really useful, but like every time I try it, like it just sort of turns into Mr. Burns. I think because he looks so much like Mr. Burns. That's true. And it's, I think Jared Wilson's done a good job of pointing out that the best Piper impersonation is really more hand gesture based than vocal. It doesn't translate well to podcast. Yeah. It, you know, I start out and it's like, it just always turns into, yeah, are you exercising like a non-believer? Yeah, and it, it sounds more Burnsian than Hyperion, but <laughs> a lot of weeping too. There's just got to be like un- like <clears throat> unexpected, like sudden sadness, where he's just like overcome by things that are bouncing around inside of his head, and it's like, oh, I deserve nothing. Yeah, a lot of like long dramatic pauses followed by exclamation. There's a lot of rise and fall. <laughs> That's the key. <laughs> Is there anybody I've not offended? In this podcast, yeah, I've, you know, it started out with I was dragging Brett McCracken, and then it just sort of went downhill from there. Yeah, I think we've we've touched a lot of the bases. I mean, Big Ten football hits a wide, wide variety of people. We've offended snake lovers, Big Ten football lovers, um, <clears throat> Nazi lovers. Yeah, Nazi lovers. You know, all, all right's going to be after us now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we sort of attacked and. Well, and then we were attacking communism too. So, I mean, we we cut a wide swath, as you say. All offenses matter. <laughs> um, okay, we were supposed to do this at the beginning of the episode, but I didn't because we just got started in our in our descent into randomness. Uh, last episode, we did a deep dive with uh, your buddy Casey Haas. What? What? And we talked about uh, we did a we did like a full hour on fundamentalist blogger David J. Stewart, and we called out friend of the podcast McKenna from Scotland because one of the things David J. Stewart says is it's a sin for men to wear kilts. 
Ooh. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, we called out our friend from Scotland and said, what do you think about this? And he tweeted us a marvelous photo of himself at his high school graduation. And this dude is wearing like a dress shirt with a bow tie and like a ceremonial kilt. And it is friggin' fabulous. So you can check that out. If you've listened to the last episode and were curious what we were calling him out for, that's why, because he came through with a photo of himself in a kilt and his hair, his long red hair is just tremendous. Check that out on the fun, sexy Bible time, Twitter at FS Bible time. We tweeted that out as soon as he sent it to us. Um, by the way, lots of comments about that, that last episode. Thank you guys for listening to that one. That was a lot of, that was a lot of fun to do. So thank you for listening to that. Didn't you I, go ahead? Sorry. I was just gonna say, I enjoyed it. It was good. It's good fuel for my workout. Didn't you, uh, speaking of Casey Haas, um, didn't you like, didn't you fight a snake on her house one time? What was it? Uh, she told me a story about there was a snake on that. Or you told me there was a snake on her house and you're over at her house. What was that about? Oh yeah. I was, we used to, when I did piano at, at her house, um, when we when they first moved in there, the piano faced the outside windows. And so I'm just like sitting there, like watching one of her girls do scales or something. And I look scales. outside in, in this like shrub right in front of the window, there's a snake like coiling itself around in there. And me being still kind of a 12 year old boy at heart, I'm like, Oh, it's a snake. And then they both freaked out. And then like, we spent 15 minutes of their lesson, like outside trying to figure out if we could catch the snake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have we ever, uh, before we go, have we ever talked about wolves when you've been on the show? I think we, one of the earliest episodes was talking about whether I thought I could fight a wolf or like what animal I could fight. I remember talking with you about fighting a deer. I don't remember if we talked about wolves. <laughs> I mean, I think it was a deer. Okay. G- give me some stats here. What's your, what's your height and weight? Uh, six to two thirty five. Okay. I'm thinking, like, if... Here's my hypothetical. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's my hypothetical. I'm imagining, like, if, if we had a Fun Sexy Bible Time convention and mm-hmm. all of the hosts were together and we were attacked by wolves, like, um, who would the last two hosts... Who would who would be the last host standing? Um, I feel like there's, there's a strong chance it could be me and you, back-to-back, fighting off the wolves. I mean, we would try to save everyone, but at a certain point, you know, it's probably just going to come down to me and you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see. I mean, I don't know who else. Uh, I'm trying to think of who, who I've listened to in regular rotation. Well, my uh, high school teammate, Mike Chavez, he's pretty he's pretty buff, but I don't know if he brings the mass that you and I bring to the wolf fight. Some of that old low post basketball skill. Yeah, well, he was a, you know, he was our shooting guard, so. Okay, so he's he, he's probably quicker on his feet. Yeah, but. Got some kind of like, I guess it just depends on how many wolves, when the last time they ate was, if we're outside, are we inside? And, I, you know, I, I don't mean to be sexist. We've had a lot of outstanding female hosts on Fun Sexy Bible Time. I just. Listen, at a certain point, it comes down to mass when you're fighting wolves, and and we haven't had, we haven't had any giant women on the show. Like my wife has been on the show, but my wife is five two. 
I just don't see her lasting very long when the wolves attack. Yeah, well, you gotta see. We we the other thing we've got to account for is mom adrenaline kicking in. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that skews things because it's very rare for you to see it in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's there, it's kind of like superhuman strength emerges that you didn't know was possible. But they would also have to be kids in the mix, I think, for that to get activated. Yeah. Okay. So you're 6'2", 235. I'm 6'8", 255. I feel like if we go back to back, I feel like it's going to take at least eight wolves to bring us down. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm just. I'm trying to picture in my mind. Now, here, here's the. Here's the. Here's the, the creepy question: If people are already dead, are you opposed to using limbs as weapons? Yeah, I've got some moral safeguards against that. Okay. Um, I think I'd be better off with you know unless there's actual weapons. I feel like I'm better off with just my bare hands anyway. Okay. Because this is not well, an offensive just, fight. This is just defensive maneuvers. Yeah, I, I just I need to be around a wolf to really know. I don't know. Where, I can't find one in the wild here. Well, uh, yeah, this this whole thing started when I watched that movie, The Gray, with Liam Neeson. Oh, gotcha. Nietzsche's favorite movie. And uh, apparently, you know, the whole movie is just a, a farce because apparently they say that wolves would never attack a full grown human in the wild. I don't know if I totally believe that, but. Um, I mean, it's not like a human is any more threatening than a deer. And a wolf would try to attack a deer, but, you know, whatever. I just feel like as long as you and I stay upright, as long as we stay on our feet, I feel like the wolves are going to be pretty limited in what they can do to us. Yeah, that's true. Like I, I would say if you're upright and there's wolves and you can maintain, like, by rotation kind of a a safe perimeter like at what point do the wolves give up or is it just kind of like uh they're going to keep fighting until they take you down well every time they lunge in i feel like we can do damage just by knocking them to the ground yeah those body blows are going to add up mm. over the course of the fight but I, you know i feel like about 80 percent of a wolf's game plan is 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 getting your neck and if you stay upright and keep your neck out of their range of attack I feel like mm-hmm. they're pretty limited in what they can do to you. Yeah, I think it, I think it may come down to if a wolf latches on, as long as there's another person, they can help dislodge it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was just a single you versus wolf, once two or three of them have like latched onto a limb, you're kind of screwed at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I feel like since we're both above average height, I feel like the reach is really an underrated part of this of why you and I could survive. The, mm. the wolf apocalypse, the, the wing, the wingspan, because it is, it's not so much about, I, I feel like it's not even so much about core strength. It's about, can you, can you get to them as they lunge and interrupt that momentum before they get to your neck? Yeah. Well-placed kicks, well-placed punches. Yeah. And if you can, if you can extend your arms out and sort of break that momentum before they get to you i feel like you're gonna have a better chance of of standing upright i i would i would put our over under i don't even know if that's the right term because i'm not a professional gambler yet um i would say it's somewhere between four and eight 
of how many we could successfully defend ourselves against. Yeah, because I'm just trying to think, like, could you could a single person in defend themselves against two wolves if they stay upright? Like, if they could brace against a tree, possibly. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody who's like a nature expert is probably like already shaking their head at this conversation. <laughs> no. and, and we're huge. You two guys would be dead in five minutes. Like this show is huge with the nature experts, by the way. Oh, perfect. But yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking like two to four, like three, maybe four. Definitely not more than four. Yeah. Because if if they can coordinate and attack at the same time, that would be difficult. But I just, I feel like. I'm not. I don't trust their ability to coordinate a simultaneous attack. Yeah, that's it. I don't know that wolves have that level of like, like that's killer whale type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, good talk, Nate Claiborne. Good talk. It's been a good one. Um, we've offended lots of people, and we've you know we we've charted out our our plan of defense for when the wolves finally attack. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to throw stuff like that out there. And then someone who maybe knows better can like give you the correct information, but you got to start the conversation. (laughs) Nate, I want to tell you, it's been glorious having you on this show. And the only thing more glorious is when you claim your mountain with a faith gift. I'm going to have to check my bank account, but we'll see. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, thanks for holding down the, uh, with Casey Haas and the other was down there. Thank you for holding down the Fun Sexy Bible Time Florida Bureau. We do what we can. (laughs) All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later.